Welcome to the Soulless Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Our passion as a church community is to see Jesus at the center of all things. For more sermon content and information, check out soullesschurch.com. Well, I'm a Bible guy. I love going through books of the Bible. I got to do some contextual context to get into our subject. And I love this passage of scripture that we just read uh, because it's about freedom. As you guys all know, uh, we just celebrated the 4th of July. It's something to be celebrated, right? To actually have freedom, to have liberty. Uh, I know this because my birthday is on the 4th of July. You're welcome for the fireworks. No, it's not that vain. They're not celebrating me. I actually hated growing up with the 4th of July because it wasn't about me. My friends would be like, oh, it's your birthday. Here's some fireworks. I forgot about you, okay? Uh, Because the bigger thing in reality is there's something greater sometimes than ourselves. And this is one of those passages where it reminds us there's something bigger than ourselves. There's actually a liberty. There's something from the Lord as a gift to you that is not just for you, but for all people throughout generation upon generation. Those that go to God get benefit, blessing, favor, and power and redemption in his name through the work that he did. Does it benefit you? Absolutely. Is it for you? Yes. But it is not just for you. Jesus died for you and the world. And it is this good news of the gospel. That's what the gospel means. It means good news. And in verse 16, it says, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. When one turns, that word means repent, to change the mind, to look to God. As you go to God in repentance, you are truly saved. You truly find grace. You truly find freedom. And God makes you new. And there's this symbolic picture of what happened on the cross is when Jesus' blood was spilled, the full wrath of God was poured upon him for you, and the veil was torn in two. And that's a significant impact or picture for us as students of God's word to understand that the presence of God is something special. You couldn't just go and enter into the presence of God because he would consume sin. And we know the Bible says that we are imperfect, are sinners, unholy. And so the holy of holies has been revealed. We can actually now go into the presence of God as we turn to God, not because of the sacrifice or anything that we've done, because there was a greater sacrifice than blood and goat, uh, than the blood of goats or cows. It was Jesus who shed his blood for you and I. As we repent, as we turn, as we understand the message of the gospel, the Bible says there is benefit, blessing, favor, freedom, or liberty. This is what Jesus gives to people when they repent, when they turn to him, when they say, God, I need forgiveness of my sins. Will you make me spiritually alive? Because the Bible says that we are spiritually dead. Yes, we're walking around physically, but the Bible says we are children of wrath, born into wrath, actually caused by the hardness of our heart. And as we walk and defile in our enemies of God, we deserve death. We deserve wrath. But it was God in his love and great mercy that saved us, that sent his son to die for our sin because he became sin who knew no sin to be righteous for us and poured out his righteousness upon us. These theological Truths that we study over and over again are reminders to us to be practiced out and walked out by faith. And we need to be reminded today of this good news as we go into this topic of prayer and dealing with disappointment because Jesus displayed his love for you and me. And the enemy wants to attack that. He wants to receive glory. He doesn't want God to get glory, but yet in the gospel, as Jesus died for you and me, not only can we bring glory, but all of the heavenly host 
forever and ever cry out, holy, holy, holy. Worthy, worthy, worthy is the lamb. He displayed his glory, his power, his strength, the majesty of God on the cross to demonstrate his love for you and for me. And not just for you and for me, but for the world, for generation upon generation, every soul and saint here on this earth and forever past will give glory and bow down to King Jesus because he made a way. He shed his blood. He displayed his love. He gives righteousness by his grace. And he says, will you receive it by grace through faith? As you turn to the Lord, the veil is removed. The Bible says you are made born again, spiritually alive. That now you can boldly go to God and his presence and have a relationship. Like Hebrews talks about, you can have confidence in this Because there is liberty where the spirit of the Lord is, verse 17, there is freedom. This is done through the spirit and by the spirit, not by us, but us receiving and turning to God and asking for help. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And when we humble ourselves, die to ourselves, get God, I need you. Help me. The spirit of God is happy to help. And he points us to Jesus. And that's the spirit of God's main role is to bring freedom through relationship through Jesus. And this text says that he transforms us or he sets us apart, sanctifies us. And this is freedom from sin and from death and from defeat we have in Jesus. This is why as we were learning through Ephesians, all spiritual blessings are found who? In Christ. Not in your own efforts, not in your own strength, but in Jesus. And we have to have the Spirit of God's help to turn to him to receive this. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And verse 18 goes on and says, And now, in this freedom, in this good news, in this salvation, the relationship with God, we all now, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree to another, for this comes from the Lord who is spirit. I just want you to think about that real quick. What an incredible thing to think about being transformed from God himself day by day. You know right now he is using today to transform your life, to make you into the the image of his son, the Bible says. The Father actually knows every hair on your head and he is working for your good, for his glory, to make you more and more through the power of the Spirit by by his Son and to his Son. As you pursue him, he does an amazing work and he's doing this today. And this is what this passage is about. But the crux, the climax, and what I want to talk about today is found in verse one. Because you have to know this truth to accept the other truth. Therefore, in verse one. Therefore, every time you see it in the Bible, you say, why is it therefore? It's because of the gospel. It's because of God's love. It's because of this truth. Because the veil is torn, we can go to God now in bold confidence and pray and know and have a relationship with God. Sin separated us, but God actually forgives us of our sin. We're redeemed now, being made new, sanctified, not by our works, but by God's grace. And so therefore... Having this ministry of mercy of God, we do not lose heart. This would have not been what I would expect 
in a therefore sentence, right? Like, this should be the time where the worship leaders, let's give a hand to God and just praise him. And Paul's saying, because of this amazing truth, don't get too discouraged. This is the reality we all face as believers. You would think that because of the freedom of the Lord from the Spirit, we would never be discouraged or dismayed, but that's not the case. He says that because now we have the Spirit and are being transformed, we will deal with discouragement. Why? Because even though we have unveiled faces to see God, He is God and we are not. You should just like remind yourself of that often. I mean, at least I do, especially as a leader in the church. He's the head, I'm not. So God, you're God and I'm not. Because even though we have unveiled faces to see God, we can't comprehend and understand him completely. We're being transformed, the text said, from day to day, more and more like Jesus. But this is in heaven. We'll completely not see God. Well, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, Paul's first letter, it's like we see like in a dim mirror. We see enough, we know enough. The apostle John in the gospel of John, the end of this gospel, he says, I've written enough so you could know and believe and have a relationship with God. But if I were actually to write down everything about God, there wouldn't be enough books in this world to contain how good and what he's done in people's lives. So you could know and you can continue to know, but that's why we have all eternity and there is a sanctification process, but this is not glorification. There is a heaven and we will have a complete reality and understanding of who God is in heaven. But until there, there is this great mystery. There is this thing of faith that we will never fully understand God until we see him face to face. And even then we will have all eternity to cry out and to worship and to praise him for that's how good he is. And so this is why An aspect of our faith is coming in a weekly rhythm, in a daily rhythm, in a moment-by-moment of dependence, of worship, of adoration, because God is a God that's alive and continues to reveal himself, and we can continually praise him over and over and over as the Spirit of God gives revelation to us of Jesus. He is that good. Have you thought about God that way? That you could never understand just how incredibly great, magnificent, he is, but yet you could understand just incredibly great and how magnificent he is. It's a crazy mystery. And so yet, Paul now says, even though they don't understand everything, they know enough. There's this tension that they can still serve God and have this ministry of mercy and keep going and not lose heart. There's the text, there's our backdrop. Now, here's the question. What does this have to do with prayer? What does this text have to do with prayer and our reality of what we experience as Jesus followers in 2023? I think that we've all experienced and dealt with answered and unanswered prayers. Mystery. And this can be a hard thing at times. We may have even asked, why does God answer some requests And then he doesn't answer others. Now, if you haven't thought that yet, you haven't walked with God long enough or you're lying. Just throwing it out there. Because I have. We all deal with it. In fact, this isn't just a message or a one-off. And even though this was given to me in this revelation, 
of how to deal with these things in the beginning of the year as we were seeking and praying as churches, it seems like every time I bring up this subject, it's in a timely manner, or God gives me this word to encourage me as I get disappointed through my prayer request. Let me explain. We also had met in a school. It was going well. The numbers were up and to the right. And then COVID hit. And then we got kicked out of the school like most churches. So by God's grace and through an answered prayer, another local church that saw the relationships that we had with other churches said, man, we want to bless you and and give you guys a Sunday night service and to be in here. And it was incredible. And we were rejoicing and it was amazing. But we know in our community, especially with non-believers, if they want to see God, usually there's less distraction on a Sunday morning than a Sunday night. Some of y'all are thinking about Sunday afternoon plans right now. That's okay. I don't judge you. I'm just telling you our reality. So the numbers started to shrink. The kids' ministry started to dwindle. But yet we were faithful in discipleship making and walking with God and teaching his word. And we even celebrated 10 years as a church. But then it's like, took a long time. And then this door was closed and this door was closed. And what was now a gift actually became like a burden because now Sunday nights seem to be not really great. But yet, in our prayers, in our fasting, God opened a door. Schools started opening. And then we were able to get back into a space, so I thought. But God said, nah. Okay, well, I'll go here. No, well, I'll go here. And I just got back from vacation yesterday. And finally, after two meetings with the administrative team and the principal, one school in our area was open to having us meet on a Sunday morning space. And not only that, a heart for us was to build a partnership and to actually serve in the school, to share the gospel, to have the funds. You know, when you meet in a school like this, the funds actually go to the teachers. So the principal is actually to use that money for extracurricular stuff, to bless the staff, to do stuff and to encourage their teachers because as you know, especially with COVID, it was a rough, it was a rough go with all these teachers, right? So it's actually a strategic move to be in a school to bless the community that you're in because you want to reach people and love people in a practical way. And I was supposed to get back tomorrow, July 11th, and sign the lease. But yet while I was on vacation, the principal emailed me and said, I'm so sorry, Pastor. I'm sorry for the inconvenience. I know that you wanted to meet next Sunday on Sundays. We're just not going to go long-term anymore. We talked to the team. It's just not in the best entrance of our school or community. Good luck. It happened. You would think after years of prayer, because now it's 2023, and it's been three years of praying, of fasting, of opening, of wanting God to open a door, that he would have finally done. I announced to the church hey, we're moving next, month, next Sunday, come back from vacation, prayer meeting on the school, let's pray over the school, let's, let's get the 101, 102 staff member names, let's pray over them, let's go, the principal wants us there, and all of a sudden, closed door. What did I do wrong? God, are you, you, are you kidding me? I'm in shock, I'm sad, I'm mad, I'm going through the grieving process even right now. Has that ever happened to you? This is just a simple building space. No one died. And yet my soul is torn up because I want people to hear God's word and be loved and serve them. But what about when it comes to a family member? 
Or as a pastor, have I prayed with people and walked with them as they've died? Or dealt with cancer? Things that are serious. See, we can still worship Jesus on a Sunday night and make disciples because we've been faithfully doing that. But yet, it's not about this request or that request. I think there's all things that are close to our heart that we've asked God for and it just hasn't turned out the way we wanted when we wanted it. God will continue to open the door. He'll be faithful and we'll still make disciples. He'll receive all the glory and it's going to be okay. But what about your heart when it goes not your way? Timing. You see, Paul is acknowledging this pain for your life right now. And you may even think, well, it isn't cancer. It isn't that big of a deal. It's just a a space or it's just this desire, that desire. God knows that desire and God cares. In fact, the word of God says, cast your cares upon him for he cares for you. It may not be a big deal to anyone in this room, but God knows it's a big deal to you. And you are still talking to him about it, and he cares for you. He loves you. Paul is acknowledging that we are free and have a relationship with God, and God is working and alive, and hears our prayers. But yet, we still walk in courage and do not lose heart. Because as we follow God, it's a mystery. And we have to ask ourselves as Christians, so what do we do with this tension? I thought prayer was supposed to be a good thing. What do you mean being disappointed in prayer? Fully not understanding God's ways. Well, I want to give you four things of how you can deal with disappointment in prayer as you're taking things to God and petitioning and asking and understanding and and knowing these things that are good, that are great, that are are for his glory, but yet it's just not happening in your timing or your way. And the number one thing I want you to start first is just understand in this text, Paul is saying you are not alone. You're not alone. Hopefully even me as a pastor giving you that real life story in the thick of it, where tonight I have to re-again engage with our church because I couldn't even speak and talk to them in the eye and tell them the disappointing news because I wasn't even with them. Tonight I have to do that again. But I am not alone, and neither are you. The saints of the old have experienced this type of disappointment, and Paul is acknowledging that. In fact, if you turn your Bible just a few chapters over, in chapter 12, he continues this emphasis I don't have the words on the screen, but I just thought about this. In chapter 12 of this book, he says in verse 8 and 9, but three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Paul had a burden. He had a prayer request. This is the apostle Paul who planted churches, wrote scripture, and is a godly man. He's in the will of God. God, would you take this thing away from me, this burden? And he doesn't just do it once. He does it three times. But the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. You're not alone. People in scripture have dealt with this. Even as they received the gospel, even as they were preaching the gospel, writing the word of God. I think this is why the Psalms are so powerful to us, aren't they? Because, man, they're just raw they're real. I love David. Some of those Psalms are like, yeah, God, just take out my enemies. Just get them, right? 
Don't you sometimes feel like that in your prayers? They just hit hard. They're real. They're raw. Or there's even a book in the Bible called Lamentations. And this should be an encouragement for us because it means that we are human. We can lament. We don't have to hide our discouragement and our feelings before the Lord. He actually says, bring those things to me. The Bible says that people suffer in this life and we can pray to God in our suffering and he always doesn't answer the way that we want or even think, but he can do more than we can ask or imagine. This is why it's important to know that you're not alone because you could think, is God picking on me? Is the enemy picking on me? What's going on? No, you're not alone and not just the saints of old, but even today, brothers and sisters today, As you're greeting people, I guarantee in a room this size, people are going through hurt and pain. They have some unanswered prayers. You're not alone. This is why Hebrews tells us, don't forsake the assemblies of the brother. Like, encourage one another, build one another up, stir each other on. You are a gospel witness to one another. But these disappointments could even make us question God and our faith because our, our emotions are so strong. I've counseled people and People have told me, well, is God really good then? Am I praying wrong? Why isn't God listening to me? I have had so many unanswered prayers in my life that have brought so much discouragement. But one thing I know that has helped me is to walk in community knowing I'm not alone. That it's not just something about me. You see, the practice of prayer helps you trust Jesus. In our 21 days of prayer and fasting, the beginning of the year, we do this as multiple churches. I was happy to see that you guys had jumped in and encouraged to pray and fast. And whether we gathered for a worship night or maybe the seek night this Wednesday, we want to be people in our community seeking Jesus and community. And whether that be in a local church or multiple churches, just awesome to see and Every year I take time to fast and pray with the churches, but I also read and study more on prayer. It's a good season, prayer and fasting. I try to take a book. One book that I would recommend to you is by a guy named Tyler Stanton. Uh, It's a book called Praying Like Monks and Living Like Fools. And he says something interesting and profound that you would think doesn't even need a quote, but I think it does for us to process and take time. He says that faith, faith is the assurance of what we hope for. Now, we know this because of Hebrews chapter 1, 11, faith is a, the assurance that we hope for, the confident things unseen. But then he goes and says, but trust, because he's making a difference between faith and trust, trust is confidence in the character of God. Now, why does this need a quote? Because the word of God, what we're studying, gives us promises where we put our hope in and trajectory, trajectory down our life of the things are to come. We claim the promises of God. We live in victory and actually shapes and transforms our life to walk through. Trust is applying that in the everyday real stuff of life. This is why commonly you can actually equally say faith is just a different side of trust. Trust and faith are almost equal. But this is why the word of God and prayer always go hand in hand because the promises of God are given through the the word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, the Bible says, Romans chapter 10. But then when you trust it and apply it to your life, you're blessed, Jesus says, and we do this through the process of prayer. Trusting God as we're going through it. Prayer builds your trust and learning to submit to the promises of God. 
The word of God builds your faith, but prayer trust builds your trust. And I want to just give a testimony and encouragement to some of you that are going through right now. I have grown in prayer, and as I've grown in prayer, I've learned to trust God more in his perfect will and his perfect character and his perfect timing. Because in prayer, you have to say, not my will, but your will be done, God. And you have to experientially learn to trust Jesus. You just have to do it. It's great to have a a promise. But but Jesus can walk you through the real stuff of everyday life. The heartbreak, the imperfect world that we live in. And so we build our faith with these practices, spiritual disciplines of prayer and the word. This is why many of the worship songs, we come corporately together and even make those prayers of our hearts. God, we're going to build our life upon you. Holy Spirit, come. We're practicing the things that we hear and applying it to our lives through prayer and talking to God and pleading with him. And this practice of prayer isn't just for me or for you. It's for all believers, every follower of Jesus. For the word of God says, pray without ceasing. You're not alone in the struggle. There's application for you today. I think not just knowing that we're not alone, and being disappointed in prayer. But I think understanding that Jesus has unanswered prayer is important for us, right? We're Jesus followers. He's our example. We can learn something about prayer in Jesus. Did you know that Jesus had unanswered prayers? It's sort of weird to think about, isn't it? I thought God was perfect. I thought this is Jesus, fully God, fully man. I mean, this is, this is our perfect example, but I was just rereading the gospel of Mark on my vacation. Did you know Mark chapter eight, verse 22 through 26, Jesus has his first unanswered prayer. You remember that story? I love Jesus because he could like lay hands on people, but he does it sometimes in different patterns to not give us like a pattern, but a person. And he wants us to be relying on the spirit, not a system. So there's this time where he actually spits on the ground and the mud and he puts it on the person's eyes that's blind. Remember that story? And the guy gets healed. But in this story, he puts, lays in the hand, touches the eyes, and he asks the guy, hey, do you see anything? And the guy's like, eh, you're a little off, buddy, because these people are like trees. He goes, oh, okay, okay. What does he do again? Touches his eyes, lays his hand on him again, prays. Hey, do you see anything? Yeah, now I'm healed. This is important for us to understand, these little tidbits, these little things of seeing the life of Jesus, because we know that Jesus through Scripture, he was perfect. He had incredible amount of faith, leaving heaven and coming down to earth. Emmanuel, God with us, the Bible says. So his faith was adequate. His flesh was adequate. He was perfect without sin. But it shows us that in prayer, you will need to persist. He not only prayed once, he prayed twice for the situation. There was nothing wrong with him. He persisted in prayer and it came to pass. Sometimes this is a part of how God works and wants to work in your life. So you would consistently depend on him through a situation, not just one time. Sometimes unanswered prayers, well, they cause us to pray more. This is like why Jesus taught a parable in Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, about the persistent widow going to an unrighteous judge and saying, this lady just kept on going and going and going to this wicked judge. Finally, he was like, just leave me alone. Here's your request. How much more the Heavenly Father who is good will hear your request and answer? So in verse 1, it says, he gave this parable to them, this story, so that they would not 
lose heart because it will be something you will experience. You will have to persist in prayer and even Jesus persist in prayer. Now we may know the second time that Jesus had an unanswered prayer. It's more familiar to us. It's more popular, but it's in the garden, the garden of Gethsemane in Luke chapter 22, verse 39 through 46. You remember that story where Jesus is about to go to the cross and he does something crazy. Like this was his whole purpose. And then in the moment of actually facing the trial, he just says, God, can you take it away from me? You realize that's what's happening. He's so anxious, so stressful, he's sweating blood, but he cries three times, Lord, if there's any other way, take this cup away from me. But he concludes, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus submitted to the Father's plans, although he was perfect. God the Father told Jesus, no. This is my beloved son whom I am well pleased. Listen to me. God's no is not God's rejection. God still loves you. God the Father told Jesus, no. A no from God is not a rejection of his love or approval. But Jesus persisted this time. Because it wasn't just twice, he did it three times. Now it's coming to pass. We know theologically the full wrath of God was being poured out upon Jesus, and it was a painful process, even more so, I think, than the physical manifestation of pain was a separation of God and the wrath of God being poured upon God. God not only told Jesus no, but then that no brought pain. Meaning, sadly, sometimes unanswered prayers are a part of God's plan, and God's plan could bring people that love him pain. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation and suffering. Peter said, do not be surprised when you go through fiery trials. It wasn't just a no in theological sense. It was a no in reality. There's a difference between not getting your prayers answered and then those prayers actually being implemented in your life and causing you grief and pain. Jesus handled both of those. We must know that through prayer, it just isn't always about us and our ways. Because can you imagine if Jesus had his answered prayer and God didn't send him to the cross? Where would you and I be, children of wrath, dead in our sin? But it was the joy set before him that Jesus despised the shame, endured the cross, and cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in that moment, he was the full propitiation, atonement for our sin, and he poured out his righteousness on those that would believe to receive freedom and joy and strength and redemption and liberty and our joy at his cost. Here's the last thing I just want to blow your mind in. John 17, his highly priestly prayer. The one that we love, especially in this area, because it's a beautiful prayer of unity for us as believers to be one. Jesus right now has unanswered prayers, not just then in Scripture. Now, we know Romans chapter 8, verse 34, he intercedes for us, for you and I, people that know him, that love him, that care about him. And yet, 
we see in John chapter 17, this prayer is not fully answered. Even on Sundays, we nationally know this is the most segregated day of the week. Jesus is in heaven right now interceding for us, and yet there are times in the body of Christ and as the church that we are not walking in unity, but disunity. Even within not just different denominations, but even within a large group that I'll call Solace Church home and have good leadership. We actually can gossip, can slander, can have friction. And the Bible says we're to walk in unity and peace and pray for it. But yet, do we live that out perfectly? No, not always. This is why, it, this is, why it's so important to understand because it means Jesus right now is praying John 17 had prayed that and for 2,000 years it has fully cannot come to pass he's patiently waiting right now for an unanswered prayer have you ever prayed for a long time maybe a daughter or a son or a vision or a dream that God put in your heart maybe like Joseph who in the Bible had a vision from God, had a calling of God, walked in righteousness, did everything right, and yet it seemed like he did not get a break. Even after pleading, thinking this would be my break, this would be my break, he got sold into slavery. 13 years, then, then, then his, then, then his uh, co-worker, his inmate, saw that he was a righteous man, but he forgot about him. Joseph, a type of Christ even in Scripture, And yet he dealt with persevering in prayer, continually believing, being refined, strengthened. Prayer causes you to grow in patience. I tell people it's a virtue. None of us like it though, do we? And yet Jesus right now is in heaven patiently waiting to give us resurrected bodies and to see us face to face so we can live in perfect unity for all eternity. He knows what we're going through. Jesus understands our unanswered prayers. It's not unusual for the people of God. It's not unusual for communities around the world right now to deal with it. And it's not unusual that Jesus goes through it. This is something that's a part of our faith. And this is why the next point is so important for us of how we deal with disappointment in prayer. Point number three is we must understand God's perspective and truth in this situation. We have to diligently remind ourselves and wage warfare in our mind to battle what truth is when we face our emotions. Because we live off of feelings in this culture, but God says to live off of faith, of what he has said. That brings strength. You put your faith in Jesus, he's the solid rock. But if you base it off of what you feel, you're going to be a hot mess. It's just reality. So we must understand God's perspective and truth in the situation. Now, another prayer warrior, God in our, uh, a guy in our culture right now being used by God in great ways is a guy named Pete Gregg. He has a few books as well. I came across an article. He's the founder of the 24-7 prayer movement. Um, so he knows a thing or two about prayer. Uh, and he says this in an article entitled, Why Hasn't God Answered My Prayer? He says, when we're asking ourselves why God hasn't answered our prayers, it's helpful to think in terms of three things. God's world, 
God's will, and God's war. God's world, God's will, and God's war. And what he means by this is so helpful, I just want to break it down a little bit to give you some perspective on the situation that we all deal with. First off, we live in God's world. This is God's world. He's creator, we are creation. But this is not the way it's supposed to be. Let us not forget the fall and sin, and we live in a broken world. But there are still natures, are, are things of God that he has set up. For example, you will reap what you sow. There are sin, or there are consequences for your sin. There is gravity. There are things that are set up by God that dictate and rule his world. In fact, C.S. Lewis, the great apologetics, uh, apologetics, said this. He said, nothing can seem extraordinary until you have discovered what is ordinary. Meaning this, miracles are miracles because they're miracles. They don't happen every day. So if you don't get a miracle, that's actually God's world, and that's the normal process of growing, of learning, of being in this world. And he is still king, but we live in a fallen, broken world. See, God has a will. It's not just his world vaguely and he's just left it off, but now he has broke through God with us, Emmanuel that cares and loves for humanity. And he doesn't just say, well, it's a broken world. See you later. I'll start over. No, he comes in and redeems. On earth as it is in heaven, he brings that stuff down. He works and has a plan and a purpose. Greg Pete says, sometimes we just have to accept God's will. Sometimes we just have to accept that God knows what's best. And this is so hard to accept. But if Jesus wrestled with this, so will we. There is nothing wrong with struggling and understanding and battling what is God's will in my life. For we can know the will of God through the word of God and the spirit of God and have liberty and freedom and walk in that path and still find joy and perfect peace in the midst of our pain and our suffering. This is where we need to lean on the word of God and the character of God to help us and to trust us that God is good. He is all wise. God will make everything right. You see, sin entered in. Brokenness is here. God redeems, but he will also renew. He will make every wrong right. And he has a will, but let us not forget the third thing. There's God's war. There are other people in this world that have other wills, agency, freedom of choice. See, even you as a human are made in the image of God and have a choice, have a will. You, you can rebel against God. It's called sin. And our flesh is strong. And we have an adversary, an enemy, the devil, who has another will, an agents of wills, demonic powers, principalities, for we don't just war against flesh and blood, but the things of the heavenly host. Everything that happens in this world isn't God's perfect will. You understand that. There is a good and there is an evil. And there is a war going on. It's not a matter of if you understand this or not. It's happening. Warren Wiersbe said, we live not in a playground, but a war ground. And there are casualties. And there are price to pay in sin. We're in a spiritual battle. And the Bible teaches that there are things that happen in this world that God does not want. Satan is real. 
Our flesh is real, and they can lead to a lot of hurt, pain, rebellion, and a sinful state. This is why our prayers are so vital. Pete Gregg goes on in this article and says, this is why our prayers are vital. We can wage warfare and ask for God's kingdom to come. Didn't Jesus say, I don't leave you as an orphan. I'm gonna send my spirit. You're gonna do more than me. And you can have my authority. You can pray in my name on earth as it is, uh, 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 on earth as it is in heaven. We have authority from the Lord to pray and engage in this world and to be salt and light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world, but you are the light of the world. Sin has been removed. The spirit of God dwells now in you, and it makes a difference. Your prayers do make a difference. Even in this world, even in God's will, as we wage warfare and we submit to the Lord, we are salt and light, and it does matter. Do not give up or do not lose heart. You see, understanding God's perspective through his word should help us when we don't understand and are disappointed in the outcome. And lastly, number four, when we're disappointed in prayer, we must understand that God is with us in the disappointment. He's with us. He's with you right now. And the thing that you're thinking about and struggling with and dealing with, you see, ultimately, the, the big question is not why. It's not why, which you know that question, right? Especially if you're a parent. See, I got a 16 and a 14-year-old, and when they were younger, like this church, bursting with kids, they always ask, why? Why, Daddy? Why? Why this? Why that? Why vegetable? Why this? Why that? You would think that they would outgrow that. No, it gets stronger. 16-year-old, hey, do this. Why? Just a little bit deeper voice, you know what I'm saying? Sometimes, why? You know? It's crazy how God knows this stuff. And then, like, in Scripture, it's like, but I love you like you're my, my children. What's the number one thing that goes through our minds when we don't get our way? Why? 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 Why this? Why that? And is that a valid question? Yes. But there comes a point in a child's life where they just need to trust their parents because they can't comprehend the why. There comes a point in our faith where we just got to trust our dad because there comes a point where we just won't know all the whys. That's sometimes the wrong question. The bigger, better, greater question to get you through this pain and this disappointment is where? Where? Where are you, God? God, where are you in this moment? And here's the good news, the gospel, the freedom. He's always with us. He's with you in the pain. Psalm 23, thinking of our good shepherd, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. God is always with us, even and especially in our disappointment, in our rebellion, in our sin, in our highs, in our lows. We have one that is closer than a brother. And in prayer, I actually experience this as I complain, as I argue, as I whine, as I disagree, and as I surrender and submit to the Father's will, God wrestles with us in our prayer, in our disappointment. God wants us coming to him in our pain and in the mystery. He tells us to pray and cares for us in all the moments of life. Again, Tyler Stanton, in his book, Praying Like Monks and Living Like Fools, he says this, if prayer is the source of a deep wound or disappointment for you, 
Remember that when trust is broken in a relationship, it doesn't get healed by silence and distance. Healing requires the courage to re-engage. The enemy wants to use our disappointment to fragment us and to get discouraged and to not re-engage. But what does Jesus always say? Do not lose heart. Keep coming to me. I am with you. I love you. This is how we deal with disappointment in prayer. We re-engage with God. We continue to seek him, to seek his presence in the pain, in the frustration, in the disappointment. He wants us to come to him to pray without ceasing. And this is why Paul says in verse 1 of chapter 4, that therefore we do not lose heart. Because we can still follow God in the mystery, in the disappointment. In the unanswered prayers, God is still God and we are not. We do not lose heart because we have this gift or this ministry of mercy. It's not even based on us. The spirit of God who gives that liberty and that freedom gives gifts to men, equips us through his word, exhorts us and points to Jesus, lifts us up intercedes for us even in our groaning when we don't even have words to say. God is with us. He has not left us, Jesus said, as an orphan. He has given us his spirit through the gospel, not based off of our own efforts, but the work that he already did, shedding his own blood. This is good news. Sin has been destroyed. Our enemy has been defeated. We can go now in the midst of this world and submit to God and have God meet us. Tyler Stanton says then this, how do we pray? The most significant way, the most straightforward response is just simply to talk to God about what's on your mind. This last vacation that I just got back from, I celebrated 20 years of marriage. I think there's something special about getting to a relationship where you can just be with someone. You don't gotta like fake it until you make it anymore. They already know all your flaws. If you're newly married, they already know all your flaws. <laughs> They're starting to see that. So you've endured a couple of trials, and honestly, you just don't have sometimes the energy to fake it. God doesn't want you walking this world not knowing him in a real way. He wants intimacy. So he wants your disappointment. He wants your brokenness. He wants a relationship. And when you go before the Lord, just straightforward in response and talk to him what's on your mind and you listen to him, it brings freedom, it brings joy, it brings strength. So I'm going to remind you today to keep praying. Do not lose heart. Even when you go through disappointment, which we all will, God will be there with you. And he is there with you. You're not alone. The saints of old, the body of Christ now, Jesus himself, they know what you're going through and God has proven himself to be faithful. For he is faithful even when we are not. He cannot deny himself. He is God, we are not. So we cling to the word of God and the spirit of God to give us endurance and perspective and truth and we re-engage over and over again, making this a house of prayer, not forsaking the fellowship of their brethren and listen he is a God of mercy. We rely on his mercy, not our own efforts, meaning I don't have to be perfect because his grace, Paul says, is sufficient. I don't know what you have to offer God. 
but you can offer your broken heart. And that's how you get saved. That's how you get redeemed. When you actually humble yourself and die to yourself, say, God, I need you. And prayer, you know what it does? It causes you to be in a point of saying, God, I need you again. I want you again. I need you again. I need you again. So keep trusting him. Keep pursuing him. As we close the service, we're going to have Jimmy and the team come up. And we're just going to take time to pray and engage and remind ourselves. The Bible says that we can partake in communion. That we should be a community saved by grace. And understand and remember that we don't have to have it all together. And what I love about the way that you guys do communion, the elements are right here on these four tables up here. And you walk up and you grab them on your own time. You pray, you seek God. But I want you to, to encourage you. You're about to see a whole bunch of sinners saved by grace. Once again, say they are not God and they need him. And if you're in a place that you've never done that before and you need Jesus to make you born again, to forgive you, to give you liberty or freedom, you partake communion with us because the body was beaten for you. His blood was shed for you. And the Bible says that we as a people, followers of Jesus, as his bride and church, our establishment, our strength is not found in our own efforts, but it's found by coming to God once again in our shame, in our disappointment, in our brokenness, in our sin, and just receiving the love he has for us. You know, the Bible says that God shed his blood for you and demonstrated his love for you on the cross. Many times when we have an unanswered prayer, we, we ask God, do you really love us? Are you in this moment or what? God has already manifested for you, his love. He's already come. So would you receive? Would you come? Let's take time to pray, to set our hearts, and then I'll invite you to come and grab the elements and partake in communion and ask God once again to be filled with his spirit, to depend on him and thank him for his strength.